Hi, my name is Tom Bryant. Welcome to my very special Men in Mind spin-off series, Outdoors in Mind. Yes, the first season was such a success, we are ready to go with a brand new one already, with a slightly, you guessed it, outdoors twist. Like before, I'll be chatting to a brand new guest about their own unique and often personal mental health journey. But rain permitting, we'll aim to do so in the great outdoors instead, on the celebrity's home turf. I caught with my first sporting superstar guest deep in the Berkshire countryside, where he can often be found indulging in his much-loved passion for fishing. England star David Seaman was on marvellous form, arriving to our interview in his very smart green fishing van. And before long, we were covering some really big themes around football and mental health, which I hope you find as fascinating and eye-opening as I did. As ever, we have the wonderful people at Mind to help guide me on this journey, and we're absolutely delighted this time around to team up with Go Outdoors for this series as part of their brilliant Hats On For Mind campaign. Just to say, today's conversation with David covers a couple of topics that some may find distressing, including issues relating to online abuse, alcohol and gambling addiction, as well as a brief reference to weight gain. So once more, try and listen with care. And if you need some support, you can find mental health information on Mind's website at mind.org.uk. Hope you enjoy. David, welcome to Outdoors in Mind. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. At, very well, thank you. Um, yeah, just just happy and. You're in a good place. I am. Yeah, you know, I've got um, I've got some fishing lined up. That's why I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I spoke to you before the recording. You, you, you arrived here in your in your fishing van. Yes, I've got a fishing van, which is absolutely ace. My wife Frankie bought it for my sixtieth, uh, and. Um, it came and it was white and I've had it wrapped khaki green and it looks mega, you know, like my, my son turned up at, the, at my house yesterday and he was like, I can't see your van, dad, I can't see your van, because it was almost <laughs> like camo. And I didn't get it to start with, but I, I, I got it eventually. Oh, okay. oh, I'm a bit disappointed. We sat, we sat here in the Berkshire countryside, but I thought you might yeah. take me fishing. Oh yeah. yeah. No, you can't see my van because it's totally camoed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it, there's, a, there's some good lakes around here and, um, you know, that's why, I, well, one of the reasons that we chose to live out here. The fishing. Yeah, the fishing and, and being out in the countryside. Um, I've always liked that. You know, I, I did live in London for a couple of years and I didn't like the fact that as soon as I walked out my front door, it's like, bang, you're in like the hustle and bustle of the city. I just, I always, always liked having my own space, you know, and, and the fishing fits in with that perfectly. You weren't tempted to retire in North London where you're adored. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a toss up between North London and... Uh, and Yorkshire, you know, with, <laughs> with my love for Leeds. But um, yeah, no, we, where we are is, is perfect. You know, we've got a river in the garden as well, you know, so it's uh, it's ideal. When you go fishing in your van, do you spend spend the night on yeah. the river? I've, I've slept in, in my van. I've done, I did a session not long ago. I did two nights in my van, you know, so like almost three days. Um, I didn't catch anything that trip, but, um, you know, so I'm yet to christen the van. Uh, hopefully next time I go, I'll... Trust me, if I get a big fish, everybody's going to know about it. So I'm going to have it taken with my van in the background. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever persuaded Frankie to go fishing with you? Um, no. <laughs> even, even though we live on a river and it's, it's really close. Um, no, she's not into it at all. You haven't she's, converted her? No. I've sometimes like... Do you like the time by yourself though? I do. Yeah. Say. <laughs> no, she knows it's, it's, she knows it's, it's what I do to, to have my time. Um, you know, because life's busy at the moment, you know, there's always something going on, you know, either, either coaching or podcasting, charity work, there's, there's all sorts of things going on. 
you know, but I, but when I do get some free time, I like to go fishing. You know, we we still skate. You know, me and Frankie still skate, so we we have we have a lot of time together. It's not like I'm trying to get away from Frankie because, you know, I would love it if she came with us. But she has said that now I've got the van, that she's tempted to come and do an overnight with me. So I can't wait for that. <laughs> you have to hold her to that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I will definitely. But she she won't be in this sort of weather though. She'll wait for the summer to come. <laughs> Now, I, I've spoken to um, musicians and TV stars and reality show judges for this yeah. podcast so far. But, but you're, you are very much a first. You are a very first sports star and a very, wow. a very first footballer. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic, really. Cause, cause I'm really excited about talking to you because I think mental health and, and football is such a vast subject. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you are England's goalkeeper. You are Arsenal's goalkeeper. And they were totally, you know, really massive, high-profile pro, high jobs. Mm. Where if you played well, you got a lot of praise, but if you if you don't, you're going to get absolutely hammered. Yeah. Did you? You must have found that, did you? Yeah, definitely, and especially being a goalkeeper, you know, like I always say to, or I always look at goalkeepers when they make a mistake, you know, how do they react afterwards? You know, can they sort themselves out in their heads? You know, because you've got to be mentally so tough to be able to deal with like making a mistake and then carry on and playing your normal game. You know, you've got to you've got to be able to like place that in the right spots or, you know, like say, right, I've made that mistake, but I'm not going to try and not recover from the mistake, but I'm not going to try and make a save, you know, because you'll end up chasing a ball that you shouldn't go for because you think you've made the mistake. You've got to be able to like sort it out in your head that, right, I can still play my normal game. And that's the first thing that I look for when, when a goalie makes a mistake, how is he going to react now? You know, and, and that's when you can tell that they're, they're organised. Did you find it hard to begin with when you first started out? Those... Yeah, a little bit. But I was lucky because I was 19 when I started playing men's football. I'd just been released by Leeds United at 19, which, you know, mentally was really tough because I wasn't very good at school. Um, I'd put everything into football. And then I got, so I went to Leeds United as a 16-year-old apprentice. I got, I got told at 19 I weren't good enough, so I, I didn't know what I was going to do. So then I had to go all the way down to 4th Division Peterborough. And that's where I restarted my career, you know, so... What was that journey like? Um, it was tough because, I, like I said to you, I, I didn't know what I was going to do because I'd, I'd got no, no qualifications. Um, my mum and dad run a grocery stroke sandwich shop. And what I used to do in the off-season was I would help the... So we used to have fresh bread delivered. So I would go and work at the bakery on a Saturday morning. And that was like my weekend job. And I thought I was going to have to start doing that like full-time. Um, it wasn't until like about a week later that I got offered the chance of going to Peterborough. And I was like, where's Peterborough? I hadn't got a clue. I was only 19, you know, but then I start playing at 19. I'm playing against men in the fourth division, but also playing for Peterborough and realizing that this means so much to a lot of people at Peterborough. You know, I didn't realize this. I was only used to playing in front of like 100 or I played the odd game for Leeds against, for the reserves. I played him once at Man United and there was like 11,000 people there all traffic but it's empty you know what I mean it went, but there was 11,000 people there but like with Peterborough it was like four or five thousand but it, it looked quite full yeah. you know and then I realised that it meant a lot to a lot of people um, and it just clicked you know it's just something but the motivation of proving people wrong was massive for me and it was like that ever since I got released that was my motivation, and, it, and I kept it all the way through my through my career. And then it and then it goes to the stage where you know I, I get to you know skipping ahead a lot. I get to England during '96, where 
I have a fantastic time, you know, not just as an England player, but as a goalkeeper as well. You know, so so there I'm like, I'm up there, you know, but I still wanted to prove people wrong. I wanted to prove Graham Taylor wrong for not picking me often enough. Terry Venables was my manager and he told me I was his number one. But Graham Taylor left me out of the team for like a year almost. You know, so it's proven him wrong. And then and then you get past Euro 96 and then you start getting a little bit old for a goalkeeper or a footballer. And I'm like, right, no, I'll prove you wrong. You know, so I had that determination all the way through. When are you, when are you playing one of those big crowds? And you mentioned it earlier. When you do make a mistake, how do you deal with it in the moment when you've got, you know, 50,000 fans following at you? Yeah. How you, um, how, is it quite a lonely place to be? Oh, God, yeah, massively lonely because... The, the hardest thing for a goalkeeper when you've done something is you have got to wait for the ball to come to you. You, you can't go chasing it. If you're an outfield player, you can go and try and influence the, the game by chasing the ball or, you know, you might get out of position or whatever. But as a goalkeeper, you've just got to wait. You've got to wait for it to come to you and then you do your stuff. Um, but like I was trying to explain earlier on, you know, like if you've made that mistake, don't go chasing it. Don't go, if the cross comes in and you know it's not yours, don't think, oh, I've got to go and do it to rectify that mistake. I've got to go and catch it because you'll end up making two mistakes. Um, you know, so that, that's, you know, it's, being a goalkeeper is a, a lonely trade. Mm. But, you know, as I said to you before, it, it, mentally it really toughens you up. What's the culture like within the football, in some of the dressing rooms when you started out? I mean, if, if someone was struggling, for instance... Is there a culture whereby you can talk to your teammates um, about it or even the manager? There wasn't back then. You know, don't forget this is, I've been retired nearly 20 years now. And, you know, so like even a, a long time before that, there wasn't, it was hard to talk to people. You know, I'd, I was lucky that when I moved to Arsenal, I was at the age of 26, I had Bob Wilson as my coach. And, you know, Bob's turned into being my coach for 15 years to be my best man twice, to be my, you know, a great friend of mine, you know. Um, so I had that. I had Bob to fall back on, who had also been an Arsenal goalkeeper, you know, so there was a lot in common with us, you know. And, and if I was feeling, if, if there was anything to do with football that I felt a bit, I would always ask Bob, mm. you know, you don't, you don't ask the manager because <laughs> not all managers know goalkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even Arsene Wenger, you know, sometimes he would say, and he, he knew, he knew not to say anything to me, he'd just say it to Bob. Yeah. And then Bob would say, it, you know, in goalkeeping words, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and even George Graham before that, you know, George would have a go at me and I'd be like, no, nah, you're wrong. And he'd go in there and like straight out there, you know, so it was, yeah, but, but I had Bob like to fall back on most of the time. Obviously my family was there as well. I'm like mum and dad, um, you know, me and my dad have had a, a lot of chats together and, you know, just about little different things, but, it, you know, but not really much about mental health mm. you know back then you didn't do it and there wasn't there wasn't channels to to find or to go into to because you didn't know anything mm. you know you thought, oh, i'm just having a bad day mm. you know not you know and i've not like struggled mentally but there's been pressures you know what i mean you know so there's always been stuff you know like whether you're playing well mm. you know or you know you, if you're playing really well and then somebody says something or, or writes something bad about you you know how, how do you cope with that mm. you know and i got to the stage where towards the end of my career a lot of people were writing bad stuff about me so I, so I ended up not not reading like not reading the papers I, I, I stopped doing interviews I, I remember talking to I was I was sat next to Helen Mirren once at a, a charity dinner and I was telling her about my, you know that I'd, I'd stopped talking to them and she went don't 
She said, you've got to speak to him. I was like, why? You know, because I was like, read the f- off. And um, she went, because they'll write even worse about you. I said, yeah, but I won't see it. She says, yeah, but other people will see it. She said, like, do the interviews, do it all of it, but then don't read it. And I thought he was brilliant. She said that's what that's what she got to the stage where where she got to the stage where she she would do the interviews, but she just wouldn't read it. I love the idea of you having a heart to heart. I know with the Helen Mirror, yeah, a charity <laughs> dinner. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> Were you aware of other players struggling? Um, obviously, you had Bob as your outlet. If, yeah. If you were under the cosh, yeah. If you had concerns about how you were playing, or yeah, that was it. Was more the football side of it with Bob and that. Um, wasn't aware of people struggling until Tony Adams came out being alcoholic and Paul Merson as well, you know, with the, with all his addictions. And then you're like, wow, if if it's happening to them, you know, and you and did you know at the time? No, I didn't know that they were that they were struggling that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Knew that, you know, that we all used to go out together and we'd get drunk or whatever. And, you know, Tony would probably get drunk a little bit more. You know, we'd, we'd have like what was known as the Tuesday club, you know, but we knew we got the Wednesday off. So Thursday we'd be ready for training, but like Tony and that, the Tuesday club to Wednesday, Thursday club, you know, so they just went that extra level, but I wasn't aware of it as, as to how much they were doing it. But when they came out. Does that sadden you that they, none of these men talk to one another about? It does now because because of what's available now. Um, you know, there, there's chances of you know you can everybody can everybody has a phone now, so it's so he so easy to be on your own and phone a number and listen to someone. You know, whereas that it wasn't there. You know, and for a man to actually open out to another man or a teammate, it hardly ever happened. You know, then we saw what Paul and Tony were going through. You know, the, I, I remember their interviews when they actually came out and they did their press conferences. By, you know, by hearing all of this. Yeah, and you're seeing them, then you're looking at them, and you're like, they're like, they look like broken men, but they're still footballers. Do you know what I mean? You know, so it was, it was so tough for them because then everybody knows about their problems. Um, you know, so they've got all that on top of having problems. Um, but yeah, but it was just, it was a, it was a wake up call. And I think like the start of where people then start to realise that if it can happen to them and it's happening to me, you know, I, and if they can come out in the press and do it, why can't I talk to somebody? Why do you think that is? Why do you think they went down that path? Is it, is it because of retire, when people retire, they can't get the buzz of the crowd and that sort of stuff? And they- no, but they were, they were nowhere near retiring. They were like halfway through their mm-hmm. careers, you know, and it's just different people, isn't it, with addictions? You know, and it doesn't, it's not just football, it happens in all the walks of life. Um, and it's just different choices. Um, but, yeah, it's just that it, at now, I think footballers that, that have got problems, you know, we've seen a lot of problems with gambling, gambling addictions. You know, there's there's now places for them to go. There's, there's people out there that can help, you know, which has really developed over the years. I love your relationship with Paul Merson. I think you went, you, you did a film recently where you went fishing together yeah. on the River Wye. I know. Yeah. Well, that that came about because we we did Harry's Heroes together, and which was a brilliant TV series. And you know that was about men's. It was supposed to be about getting fit for one game against Germany. You it know, turned and, into something else, and it turned it, into like it? a men's health and men's problems at certain ages and all, you know. But it turned into a show that lots of people loved and could relate to. Um, and so Paul was in that and, and he, you know, this, I think he came out in about 94. So we did Harry's Heroes probably about, what, 2015, something like that. So he's had all that time, yet he broke down on the programme, 
he actually confessed that he'd still got a, a gambling problem. You know, and I was like, wow. You know, and then I, I actually had sat down and had a chat with him on camera, literally just after he'd, he'd, broke, he'd broken down. Um, you know, so that was like really like sombering, but but I don't I don't want it all to be like doom and gloom, you know. So then that's why I took him fishing, took him fishing on the River Wye. And we, when we sorry, so when we were doing Harry Zeros, we went fishing. Me, him, and Robbie Fowler and Mer, Merce, Paul Merson was having none of it. He couldn't get in. He's like this is this is boring, and I was like. <laughs> I enjoy it, mate. But then Robbie started getting into it a little bit and then Paul was having none of it. And then I took him fishing recently and he absolutely loved it. He's like, I, I get it now. He says, I get what buzz you get from this. Well, something quite moving, actually, watching yeah. the two of you just stood there silently yeah. fishing. Just chatting just and chatting. chilling and catching fish and, you know, having, having a, a laugh. But but then, you know, one of, one of the, when he said, he said, this is just so gorgeous here. You know, the river, the weather was nice and we were catching. And he says, like, I can do this a lot. You know, and for Paul to say that means a lot because he took some converting, trust me. <laughs> You've also taken Paul Gascoigne fishing. Yeah. He's yeah. A big, and, he's and a big fan, isn't he? Gazza loves his fishing. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and he's always loved it. I used to look after him in, even in back in the day in uh, Euro 96, we'd go fishing and he'd be messing about. And I'd be like, no, I'm fishing, mate. You do what you want, but I'm fishing. And um, but yeah, we took Paul fishing um, up at, at Linear near Oxford, and he really enjoyed it, you know. And I had to, I went with the, um, Ali Amidi, and um, so it was me against them too, because Ali's a, a professional fisherman. And um, but I had to have a word with Ali. I was like, right, I don't want you to be like messing about all the time. I said, because I, I know he loves to mess about, but I don't want people, to, no, I don't want people to see that side. I, don't, I want to people to see the other side, like the side that I know of, of Gaza, Paul Gascoigne. And he's like, all right, all right. And then he started, I'm like, Ali, calm down. <laughs> I was having to tell Ali to calm down more than I was having to tell Gaza. And, um, and then in the end, like at the end of it, like Gaza did this interview about how he'd loved the day, you know, and he, and he broke down in tears, you know, because he was so emotional about it, but he'd had a fantastic day fishing. Yeah, he's still, you know, and he's, mm. you know, that's what it is with Paul, you know, he's up and down and, you know, but, yeah, it's, it, that's what he does at the moment. He's up and down. <laughs> You've fostered some really strong relationships, haven't you, from your playing days? Yeah, yeah, you know, and, it, and it's nice, you know, it's nice, you know, and that's, you know, I'm there, you know, I can I can be there for them. You know, Gazza will phone me up whatever time of night and I'm like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know, but it's, he knows I'm there, you know, and um, it's it's just it's just what I, you know, it's what I am. I think everybody would do it as well, you know, you'd, when it, when you've got a friend that's actually asking for help, you're going to help them. You know, but it's the asking that's the hardest part. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you, you talked about Harry's Heroes earlier, and I think that was sort of genre-breaking TV in many respects because mm -hmm. it showed men of a certain age talking yeah. about their mental health, which you never really see on yeah. TV. Yeah, and not and not being and not ashamed, but not not being afraid to say things. You know, and, and then finding things out about your body. You know, we all got tested and everything, and fat tested and all sorts. You know, and people were finding that they got stuff wrong that they didn't even know. You know, so but then to be able to talk about it afterwards as well was that's I think that's what made the program. You talk about mental resolve and you had a lot of that through your career, um, and you've needed it in some in some moments where it's been difficult. You know, mm -hmm. such as the World Cup in two thousand and two. Yeah, uh, with Ronaldinho when when he sort of lobbed, lobbed you. Yeah, um, that was a very difficult moment for you, wasn't it? Oh, it massive. You know, and, and even even I knew straight away that like when when that happened, and I'm on the pitch. And we've got, there's an hour, half an hour to go. And then Ronaldinho gets sent off. 
So we're, we've now got half an hour against 10 men to try and get, and I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, come on lads, get me out of this. Because if it stays at 2-1, am I going to get treated the same as what Betts did in 98? So that I've got those thoughts in my head on the pitch while the game's still going on. You know, that's how, how much it, it, can play, it can play tricks with you. And then obviously we didn't get out of it. And I'm, that's when I start, like at the end of the game, I'm going towards the England fans and I, I don't know, I just, you just feel like you've let everyone down and that's where the tears came from and the emotions and I see pictures of David Beckham saying something in my ears, Sven, Ray Clemens, I've got, I haven't got a clue what they said. You know, I can't even remember now what they said. What was it like in the dressing room afterwards? It was just, it was just horrible because I, you know, like I say, you just feel like you've let everyone down. I tried to go into the press conference afterwards and I was just breaking down all the time and they were like, no, I just, just just take him away, you know, and then and then I've then having that worry of coming home, what sort of reception am I going to get, you know? And as I got off the plane at Heathrow, what was the plane journey like? Just, just, just full of worry, yeah, yeah. you know, of what's going to happen, you know, tension obviously. But then you get off the plane and we we got onto the coaches, and then there was a lot of England fans at the airport, and as soon as they saw me, they started singing my name, and it honestly it was just like. Because yeah, even even in that Brazil game, I'd had a really good game. I'd made saves. I nearly broke my back. <laughs> like bendy back thing happened, and but I'd made saves and all that. But everybody remembers the mistake, you know. But as soon as I heard the England fans chanting that, I was like, it was honestly, it was such a relief. You know, I still get stick about it. There's no doubt, you know, from away fans and you know, especially Tottenham fans, you know. But it's. You know, it's what it is. It's, it's part of me. It's what happened. You know, people still ask me, oh, do you think he meant it? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. It still went in. I know he didn't mean it. I knew he didn't mean it straight after the game because I was told. But, you know, it, it went in. That's mm. it. You know, like, and then I had to deal with it. It's really interesting you're talking about this now because um, obviously the Beckham Netflix documentary has been... been yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And what I found fascinating about that was the fact that when, when Beckham was sent off in 98, obviously you were on the pitch. Yeah. He spoke about how much everyone saw how he was pillared afterwards, but nobody, no one really knew that he was clinically depressed right. and how he was suffering so much inside. That was yeah. for many people that was new information, and obviously that's something you didn't know. Uh, yeah, no, we we didn't. You know, we didn't know what. He, obviously, it's different for for me because like once you're away from England, he, he goes back to Manchester. Yeah. So then you don't you don't see what's going on, like people like Gary Neville and. Nicky Button, Scorsese, and Phil Neville, and they will have seen it like day in, day out, you know, and seen a difference in him, you know. But um, yeah, it, it was yeah, you just don't know, do you? Because like there weren't there weren't a lot said about it back then. Mm. Were you all quite shocked though by the reaction of the British public, or was it something you perhaps anticipated in many respects? <laughs> it was on another level. In many it, it was on an, on, a, yeah. on another level, but I've yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it happen before. I've seen it, you know. When, sometimes when you see people in the grounds, you're like, wow, you know, like, how can you get like that wound up about a football match? Yeah. You know, be so passionate towards your team and against the away team. But, you know, I, I don't get it. But, you know, that's what people do get like, um, you know, so then that's why I can understand, you know, even like me, like going, putting the ball down, taking a few paces back to take the goal kick. So I'm like really close to the fans and the stuff that they used to shout at me, you know, like all sorts of stuff, you know, like, Horrible it does stuff. Take quite a lot of mental um, 
dissolve to, to yeah but you know you know that if you react or whatever you're gonna get fined <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like a week's wages like no <laughs> no chance <laughs> you know so there's obviously there's the, that reaction thing um you know even like at anfield like yeah, way back in the day i, I remember getting spat on you oh, know oh by little kids as well you know and it was just just oh, it's almost soul destroying because you can't do anything you know, there was a policeman there, and I was like, are you going to help? He was like, what can I do? I was like, kick it. <laughs> you know, and it's, um, but that, that's what it's like. And then, but then with Bex, you know, yeah, it, it went way too far for what it was. It was a, it was a really bad red card because it, it wasn't a red card. It was yellow, Max, the ref caused all that. And then what I didn't notice is how, is what Glenn said straight after the game, you know, about the, almost like blaming David. Yeah, that was very And that shocked me it? a little bit, yeah. You know, because I'd, I'd not known, because obviously we were in the dressing room, you know, so we, we probably, just, you know, we probably saw it in the papers and that, but like when you actually see, see your, mani the, your manager saying things, you're like, whoa, it's a bit harsh, you know, because it weren't even a red card, if we're honest. And by the way, we went to penalties. <laughs> so it's not, you know, there was no advantage in penalties. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you wonder in today's climate, with regards to mental health, whether the manager would say such a thing now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I don't think he would. This podcast is brought to you as part of the Hats On For Mind campaign, which David is an ambassador. He designed his own hat and flask, which you can purchase online and in-store at Go Outdoors, Blacks, Millets, Nailers and Fishing Republic. Not only that, but 100% of profits from the campaign will go to Mind. But don't take my word for it, here's David instead. Yeah, this is the, the Hats On For Mind campaign and um, it's been designed by me. Um, we've also got some hip flasks this year. The campaign was really successful last year. We raised like £230,000 um, for Mind, the, the mental health charity. Um, we, have, we had great fun doing the shoot, you know, and, and we know that it means so much to people and that's why I can't, I can't wait for it to, uh, to be started again this year. Um, I wanted to ask you about retirement. Um, yeah. Obviously, you had a complete stellar career, but then the time came when you needed to hang up your gloves. Yeah. How did you feel about all of that? I was ready for it. Were Honestly, you? I, I knew, you know, I, okay, I was lucky because I went to 40. So I retired at, at the age of 40. And yeah, I was, I was proper ready because as a footballer, I always knew that it's going to come to an end. There's going to come a time when you can't do this anymore and you're still going to be quite young. You know, 40 is like, middle-aged and I was ready I was like because I love my fishing I love I've got so much more to do you know even to the point where not long after I'd retired I got asked to go back to into football as a goalkeeping coach and not not at Arsenal at other clubs one including Tottenham and I was like no way but anyway <laughs> that was when a certain Mr Redknapp was there and um and I was like no I don't want to go back to football hours you know I don't want to be a coach and then have nothing at the end of the week you know, because you're not playing. So I, I didn't want that. I wanted to be, uh, I would, like what I'm doing now, I'm doing part-time coaching at Arsenal and I really enjoy that. You know, I go in once a week or once every two weeks and it's and that suits me. You know, I wanted to like do my fishing and do other bits. You know, I did Dancing on Ice and I did loads of other TV stuff and it's, it's what I enjoy, but I was looking forward to it. But I had that point on the pitch where I was playing for Man City and the ball was down the other end. We were away at Wolves. And I'm like, what am I doing here? 
and that was my sign. You know, and people have always spoken. You, you'll get a point. There'll be something that happens, and you think that's it. It's time to quit. Did, and that was, was my. It, did, was it? Did, was it almost like a release? Yeah, it was, and I'd never had that thought in my head before. And I was like, I'm not enjoying this. The next day, I went and saw Kevin Keegan because he was the Man City manager then. And I said, just to let you know, I'm going to retire in the summer. And then ten days later, I got I got smacked on my shoulder. I knew it was going to take two or three months. I was like, I'll call it a day. You're done. Yeah. And I was happily done. <laughs> and people say to me, do you miss it? I go, no, I, I don't miss it that much. I enjoy going and watching football every now and then. I don't go to like loads of games. I enjoy my training. I watch it on TV. You know, I'm, I'm still a Leeds fan, which has been hard over the last few seasons, trust me. I can imagine. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, life's good. It's, that's great. You had such a good reaction to the fact you were retiring and you were really up for it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of players, when they retire... I think they what they worry, don't they? In terms mm. of how, how how am I going to fill the day? Yeah, yeah, that was that was never a problem for me, you know, because I'd got I got my golf, you know, I love my golf, love my fishing, you know, and it wasn't until recently somebody asked me like, all right, then golf or fishing, and I was like, ooh, I've never been asked that before, and now all day long it's fishing, <laughs> you know, if I get a spare day and you know, I can either go golfing or fishing, I'm at the lake or the river. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about being by the river, by the lake? That you just love so just much. Peace, so I- of, peace of mind, tranquility, being at, at one with nature. I always take my binoculars because I just love watching wildlife, especially, you know, like different birds whizzing around. I love, I love birds of prey. I love watching those. You know, like you get a lot of sparrowhawks where, we, where I go. The kites are always there. And then the buzzards, the kest- you get kestrels. Mm-hmm. The, the other, I was fishing not long ago and I was night fishing. And there was this bird in the in the trees singing away all night, and it like it woke me up. And I'm like, what is that? And I didn't, I still didn't know until like the next day. And I was I, I was chatting to the bear. I was like, this bloody bird was making a right racket all last. He said it's a nightingale, Dave. I was like, <laughs> it's the first time I'd experienced one of them, you know. But I didn't know what it was. It was making a lot of noise. Trust me. <laughs> Do you bump into lots of other people who were surprised to see you fishing? Yeah, yeah, especially when I because. Where, where I live and the lakes where I live are not too far away and so I, I do a lot of bike riding around the around the countryside and then at the end of my bike ride I always go into the lake to have a little look round so I turn up in my lycra <laughs> again <laughs> and, and they're like oh my god it's dead. you know but then I'm, I'm there to like see if they've had if I announce so like oh have you caught anything or you know have you seen anything yeah. And, yeah, so they, they do. They they always do a, a double take. And then they just find out it's me just being me being me. And uh, yeah. they're like, oh, you're normal. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you talked earlier about the transition to um, into retirement and doing TV. You yeah. said Dancing on Ice. Mm. How did you find that move? Putting yourself in front of the cameras in oh. a completely alien environment. I, I, I say to people, that is the most nervous I have ever felt in my life, waiting in the tunnel at Dancing on Ice to go out and perform. The worst ever by a country mile. Also, they're walking out into Anfield. Oh, I could do that in front of millions. I've done it. I've done two World Cups. You know, played in front of millions on TV and everything. You're doing your job. You know what you're doing. Well, you should do. <laughs> Dancing on ice, honestly, you're going out there knowing that you can fall over at any time. And I did sometimes. You know, but the worst part about it was because I did the very first series. So we didn't know how many people were going to be watching it. You know, so like after the first weekend show we i got through to the next round and, and they looked at the viewing figures they went oh yeah it peaked at 14.1 million i was like what we were like oh no so like the second show was even worse because now you know how many people are watching 
And it, honestly, he gets you that bad that you go out and like you, you you skate out and then you like present and smile and then when you smile, you, your mouth is so dry, your top lip stays up there. <laughs> you can't and it, and it's and then you, you'll do a little mistake and your legs start wobbling and it it was terrifying. And dancing eyes so violent as well. It, it can be terrifying, you know, because the 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 hardest thing for me was when I fell over, which I did many times and especially in training, I felt like a goalkeeper though. You know, which is habit, you know, like elbow down, hip down, knee down. And that's the worst thing you can do is put the bony parts onto the ice, you know, so it does hurt. And yeah, you know, my I, I, my partner cut a chin open on one of the moves that we were trying to do and people have broken ankles and, and all sorts, you know, so it's, but it's been out of your comfort zone. But in a way, I, I want to say I, I enjoyed, I nearly enjoyed it, if you know what I mean. I love the skating. We still skate now. Um, you I know, love that you continue skating. Yeah, and it's, but it's, it's brilliant exercise, you know, and especially for me because I'm a big guy. And, you know, it's a full body workout rather than like going on a bike. You know, I, I love my bike riding, but that's, that's different. Uh, the skating's good because we, we do all the tricks and everything still, you know, like I, can, I, I do the head banger with Frankie and I lift her up on one hand and then spin her around. Oh, that's and, incredible. Yeah, you know, so we, yeah, but she's, she was a pro, so she's teaching me all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I should, you know, if I didn't get to a good level, she wouldn't go skating with me anymore. She'd be like, no, I'm going on my own. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was just something that we loved. We did a load of it before COVID. COVID came and we stopped for quite a, quite a while. And uh, when we're just starting to get back into it. Oh, it's, it's, great, it's great that you're still yeah. doing that. I interviewed um, Greg Wallace for this podcast and he right. actually went on Strictly. Yeah. And he said he was so anxious about stepping out onto the dance floor. He, get, he had to see a therapist about it. Oh, I mean, really? Just, he was, he yeah. really, really struggled. So I can, yeah. I can, I can yeah. see where you're but coming But Tony, from. you look at Tony, Tony Adams last year. And, and, and I knew he was in it because me and Lee had done some BT for him. And, um, and when I saw him come out on, the, on his first day, the first performance... I could see in his face how nervous he was. And and I texted him straight afterwards. I went, I bet that's the worst you've ever felt for nerves. He went, exactly, goalie. He went, I can't believe how nervous I was. He says, and, uh, and uh, he went out and he tripped within 10 seconds. And it, it it scrambles your brain because you know you've done something wrong. And and on the on the dancers, they have mic they're mic'd up, but they, obviously it's not going out live. Thank God, because Tony said he said they sent me the the um, the recording of my voice while I was dancing, and all you could hear was me going, "Oh fuck, oh fuck, because oh, <laughs> <laughs> he because he felt he'd gone out of sync and out of like out of rhythm and everything. Who would have thought that you you and Tony Adams would be doing all know, these sorts yeah. of things when you're playing dance? No. <laughs> oh, no, I've, they've asked me to do Strictly, and I'm like, no, I don't. I don't like the dancing side of it. I did the the mass dancer recently with my wife, and that's the only reason I did it is because I was dancing with Frankie, and I got a big mask on, so nobody could see the the, the terror in my face. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any preconceptions about the TV industry before you before you engaged with it? Um, it's, quite a, it's quite a cutthroat world. Yeah, actually, it isn't is. It? Yeah, and you see, you know, especially with Dancing on Ice, and then obviously. I met Frankie through Dancing on Ice a few years later and then being still involved with it, but not on it, if you know what I mean, you know, going to the shows to watch her, but then seeing the other celebs, the way that they're acting and how different people re start acting in front of camera, you know, all of a sudden, like, they, they turn on, like, where's that person come from? <laughs> you know, and all that wanting, you know, but then that's, that's the business of TV, you know, it's wanting to do great, you know, when the camera's on. You know, so it's it, it's a totally different world, 
Um, but it's it's something that when when I was in it, because I'm a sportsman, you know, you, you want to win, you want to get better, you know, and that, and I think that's the fascination of ice skating is it's one of those sports that looks so hard, so easy, mm-hmm. that is so hard. You know, you put your skates on off ice, you think, oh, how am I going to balance? And you tie them up, and you think, oh, this is all right. You know, and you start walking and that, and then you put one foot on the ice and it wobbles and you're like, wow. Honestly, yeah. I, got, I got so much respect for you. I, 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 I go ice skating with the children um, once yeah. a year around Christmas and it's, a, it's oh. probably the worst day of my life. Yeah, oh, and, it can uh, be as well. Yeah. You know, like if you stack it, you, you stack it properly well, because we, we're not used to falling. You know, we try like, the pro skaters, as soon as they know they're falling, they just relax and chill and slide off and they've got like no damage. You know, we, we fall and try to stay up, we flip and bang our heads and all. Oh, <laughs> uh, you mentioned COVID earlier and going, going ice skating with Frankie. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to lots of people on the podcast about COVID. They've struggled. They've really right. struggled. Um, I think the main thing I've heard is that because of the industry that they're in and mm. everything's shutting down, um, they struggle for worrying about, worrying about work and where yeah. the job's coming yeah. from. Did you have any similar anxieties? No, I, I, I was fortunate in COVID. You know, we've, we've got a nice place out in the countryside. I, I dread to think what it was like for people with like one or two bedroom departments where they were in that apartment for hours and days and days. Um, we were lucky. We've got a nice garden and, and, you know, everything's okay. So, you know, COVID for us meant we, we did a decking project. You know, we did a lot of house improvement stuff. So it was... COVID was okay, yeah. you know, as as much as COVID could could have been okay, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, so we weren't we weren't really affected by it as much when it first came out. You know, later on we lost it. I think we lost two two family members to it. Um, um, you know, but it was at that when it first came out, it was just a case of like closing everything up. You know, don't go anywhere, close the door. And we lived in our. Luckily, we had a big bubble. Yeah, so we were fine. I wanted to talk to you, David, about social media. Um, yeah. It wasn't really, was it around when you were playing? No, our social media was the papers. <laughs> it was. That's what it, that's what it used to be, you know. We sold millions and millions then, didn't Yeah, and, and, you know, our, like, judgment, so to speak, was looking at the paper and seeing what mark you got out of 10, you know, by all these different reporters. And if you got anything less than a six, you were like, you were fuming. You know, and did that bother you? It, 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 it you, you looked, so it, it must have bothered me. It bothered other people more. <laughs> I, I remember Martin Keown, Rob Shepherd, or for some reason, Rob Shepherd didn't like Martin Keown, and Rob would always mark him low, <laughs> even if he'd won four nil. Martin would get five out of ten, and he, it really got to Martin. I think then Rob found out that it was needling him, so he did it even more. He bought to the point where Martin actually strung Rob up against the, one of the walls at Highbury. No. Yeah, like I, and they had a, a bit of a push and shove, trust me. <laughs> it was handbags, but it was push and shove. But, um, you know, so that, that was our social media. Um, and then the phone started coming. And then it was, yeah, it's probably after I retired that it, it really kicked in. But going back to what I said to you about the papers writing negative things about me and don't read, don't read it. It's the same with social media. You've got to know there's, there's people out there's, there's always going to be people out there that don't like you. No matter, I, I still get stick on social media now. And I just, it's just, I look at it sometimes and, and, and it's gone. You know, because I know that you can't please everybody. You know, no matter what you do, what decisions you make, you will always get some people on there that are just out to, to upset people. 
you know, and, you know, they, they call it trolling or whatever it's called. And it's, it, it's there, but you've got to be aware that it's there, you know, and social media can be great in certain aspects, but there will always be that side of it, you know, and bullying and stuff like that. But you've got to try and be able to just wash it away. Don't even reply. You know, I never reply to any criticism that I get because, you know, even if I've had a few on a Saturday night, I'm like, don't look at social media because <laughs> that's the worst. Um, you know, so, yeah, I just don't, I don't get involved with it. I use it for what I want and that's it. That's... Are, you glad, are you glad it wasn't around when you were playing? A little bit, yeah, because when you see, especially like, so I've got my, my youngest lad's 21 and my daughter's 23 and I've got 38 and 39 year old lads, but anyway, we won't go there. <laughs> but the youngest ones are always on it. They're, they're constantly on their phones, you know, they're on Instagram and TikTok, all, they're on all of it. But they, but you know, I tell them, you know, I'll say, but some people might not like you or they'll say, but they, they know, you know, because I've, I've been able to, you know, I've had that experience and told them that experience that, you know, people will always have a go at you, you know, even like down to what you're wearing or whatever, you know, so they, they know that. My youngest lad don't use it as much. Yeah, it's just... It's just something that you've got to get used to because mm. it's here and it's here to stay. Um, Dele Ali recently came out and talked about his mental health. Yeah. Um, and he got an amazing reaction from many people. Um, do you think he could have done that um, in your era? Um, straight away, I was going to say no, but then I think of Paul and Tony, you know, because it's similar sort of things that they went through and they were, they had the the balls to come out and, and, and admit it, you know, and I think that's the, th that's the hardest thing is admitting that you've, you've got a problem, um, you know, and with Delhi coming out, it, yeah, it, it makes it easier. He, he probably doesn't know, but it makes it easier for so many other people to come out and say, or to ask, you know, by him doing that, you know, in public makes it so much easier for other people that, that obviously not in, on, in the public eye, you know, they can pick a phone up, they can ask a friend and they know it happens to other people. Are you on the lookout for, with, with, your, with your children if they're struggling? Do you know the signs to look out for? Are you, are you, are you more mindful of their mental health than maybe? And the, yeah, yeah, more than what I would, I would have been. Um, you know, my two eldest, are, they're, they're grown up, you know, and, you know, they're still well, like one's just, he's a, he was a pro golfer, you know, but he never, he never made it like to the Euro Tour or anything like that, you know, but he's now a teaching pro rather than a playing pro. Then my second son, he's a, he's a pro poker player. That's all he does. He makes his living from playing poker. What a job. I know. You know, and then, and then Georgina, she's, she's actually just come out of the Met. She was in the Met Police yeah. um, doing a detective course, but she, she wasn't enjoying it, you know, so there was, there were certain flags there that needed to be looked at. Um, and, you know, so now she's changed jobs and is really enjoying it now. You know, and my son Robbie's doing his last year at Bath University. Yeah. So he was with us last night. He went there this morning, forgot his food. <laughs> Typical students. <laughs> you know, so yeah, but, um, I'm, a, I'm aware of it. And, and, I'm, and I think that a lot more people are aware of these little signs that they might, you know, that they might see because it's, it's more in the public eye now. And obviously, if you are struggling, um, if you're having a bad day, our partners are so important, aren't they? Yes, exactly. Tell me about Frankie. How does she know when you're down, and do you know vice versa? Yeah, you, yeah. Because we, we, me and Frankie are together all the time. Because we don't, we both have, we haven't got jobs that take us away all the time. So we're, we're we're with each other a lot, you know. So you can tell 
you know, sometimes you know when not to carry on with the conversation or with an argument or whatever, you know, it's, she always wins anyway because she's so bloody intelligent, <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're, we're there for each other. We, we can spot like quite quickly when, when they're not having a good day. Um, as well as your mental health, are you mindful of your physical health as well? Because often yeah. they, they go hand in hand, don't yeah. they? Yeah, no, totally. I, I've recently, last week, I had a full like MOT. I had a, um, a CT scan, you know, so I'm, I'm constantly making sure or having little checkups, you know, and I nearly said PSI. It's a, that's the tyre pressure, isn't it? Well, it's the <laughs> PSA blood test, you know, like to check for bowel cancer and different sorts of cancers and stuff, you know, because... I'm 60 now, you know, and my dad, my dad had bowel cancer, but survived, um, you know, and there's all those health, you know, issues with health that go on and they're in their eighties now, you know, and they, they, they're rattling around with their tablets and everything. And, you know, but it's what it is. At least, at least they're getting checked up, you know, and that's what I'll do. You know, and part of that is through Harry's heroes as well, you know, because we, we got checked up like as part of the, as part of the program, you know, and then from that, you know, you, you're, you then become more aware of like what you're eating, what you're drinking, you know, cause I found it, I found it weird when I retired. That was the only thing that I found hard to adjust to was the amount of food I ate after I retired it was the same as what I was doing when I was playing, but I was training every day. Now I, I didn't have to train. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like, got on the scales. I was like, whoa, that's a bit much, you know, but you know, even now I still weigh myself. You know, we, we used to get weighed every Friday at Arsenal. You know, and you had to be at a certain weight, you know, and that, that habit is still there. I still weigh myself, you know, and of course I put a few pounds on, but, you know, it's, it's what it is. I don't train nowhere near as much as what, you know, what I used to. You know, I, I don't get paid for it now, but it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy being out in the public domain? Do you enjoy the fact that you've still got this profile? Because a lot of players, they, yeah. sort of, they retire and they sort of, they, they sort of go away and they just sort of keep themselves to themselves, but you've kept yourself out there. Yeah. And, um, have you yeah, it? I enjoy. I enjoy Does it. Get too much. It can do. Yeah, you know, but it's what it is. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be out there, that's gonna bring, you know, the 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 fame as or whatever you want to call it, the um, the attention. Um, but it's yeah, it's if if people are happy with it, then I'm happy. You know, if they want to be miserable, then I can be miserable. <laughs> and finally, what, what, and finally, um, bringing this this brilliant interview to a, to a close, I wanted to ask you, what would you say to somebody? Maybe it could be a, a young footballer starting out, who's getting trolled, mm. who's or he's he's really struggling with his form, and he feels he hasn't got anyone to turn to. What would you say to what would you say there, to that person having been in that situation yeah. yourself? Well, nowadays there is always someone to talk to. You know, and there's there's people to talk, that will talk to you that won't take the mickey because I think that's the biggest stigma is that you know if somebody talk if you say that to somebody they'll take the mickey out of you or whatever. But that doesn't happen now because more people are aware. So there's always someone to talk to, or if you don't, if you're not even comfortable with someone to talk to personally, I you know face to face, get on your phone. There, there's phone lines, you know, where people can help you. There's there's always someone to help you out there. Very wise words indeed. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter at Miratom. And if you like what you've heard, rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.